Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode number 24. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 24. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. Last week, we made it about, I would say, two-thirds of the way through the chapter. We talked a little bit about the concept of slavery, talking with you, Greg, a little bit afterwards. It sounds like you've landed on some other research, and you're kind of go deeper with that. So we'll come back to that probably on a later podcast. Um, but I think where that left us was the last part of chapter 10, where there was this story about Mil- uh, Millard Fuller. And um, so here's the quote that kind of takes it into the, the end of the chapter. And it's this notion of just completely giving up. So, um, Millard said, he told us that it was, he's referring to a, to a minister at a church that he went to that, where he had his conversion experience. He told us that it was not necessary to give up everything. He just didn't understand that we weren't giving up money and the things that money could buy. We were giving up, period. Millard and Linda started an organization you're probably familiar with, Habitat for Humanity. That's what the story of the rich and ruler is really about. It's not about giving up money and the things that money can buy. It's about giving up, period. That's what it means to deny yourself and follow Christ. So, do you agree with that? <clears throat> well, you know, as we've chatted a little bit about, I think it depends on what he means by giving up, period. And I, cer- I certainly think there are things in that you and I would associate with the idea of giving up that he would not think are cool. Like... I really don't understand what's going on with God, with Christianity. It doesn't make any sense to me. I've been going to church for a long time. It's not panning out for me. I'm just giving up on this right now. I I, I can't see that he would say, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> that's, that's interesting because that's how I actually took this. I I took away from the quote the notion of of not trying anymore. But now that yeah, you're probably nudging me back in that other direction because that's kind of the place I'm at is uh, not quite not trying quite as I don't know frantically or yeah, just I'm just I feel like I'm in a period of just being and waiting waiting on for God. Um, it's not interesting in that I don't find that notion anywhere in this book. No. <laughs> No, and that's what's yes. It, it's not in this book, um, which I thought okay. So, which I thought was interesting when I landed on this because I thought, well, this is kind of strange coming at the end of this chapter. As the book is kind of going, the chapters kind of seem to be more and more hard hitting in terms of how radical they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, this chapter was all about surrender and slavery, and then it ended with giving up. I was like, oh, that's. How does this fit with the rest of the chapter? Because the rest of the chapter seems about, you know, doing things in earnest and living in denial. And then the next chapter is all about, well, it's it's kind of a rehash, if you ask me. It's more about, it's like about sacrifice and carrying your cross daily and 
dying. Dying, and is it hurting enough? And if it's not hurting enough, are you really sacrificing? And yeah, it's all about what you're doing, and if you're doing enough, and does it hurt enough? So, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Does it hurt enough? So, how can you possibly be giving up if you're in this does hurt enough mentality? And the and the does it hurt enough mentality in my experience is an infinite regress. Like it can go on for absolutely ever. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you know, I have five pairs of shoes, so I only really need four. But you know, you only really need one pair of shoes at a time, and actually, you don't really need shoes. I mean, people in Bible times didn't have shoes, so why do I need shoes? So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And then if that doesn't hurt enough, you know, maybe you don't need to wear a jacket. Because, I mean, there's yeah, enough no. people in the world that don't have jackets and it's freezing outside. So why should we have it so good? So give away your jacket, too. And it just what? goes that on and on and on. Isn't that, isn't that Luke uh, 6, uh, 29? If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone would take from you your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. You there you go. Shirt? Yeah, yeah, you don't need a shirt either. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, see, I think we get into these, again, I I think a lot of what we're reading in this book is two problems, one key problem and one that flows out of it, and the key problem is he's got the wrong priority. He's got a page 21 priority, page 21 is, the only really important question is, where will you spend, well, what if it really comes down, what if there really is a heaven and a hell, and where I spend eternity comes down to this one question. I'm quoting from the bottom of page 21 again. I believe that the reason we are put on this earth is to answer this one question. That is his number one priority, and that, I think, indisputably is the wrong priority. It's the wrong way to go. If you're a Christian, you you, you cannot go in that direction. And um, you cannot go in that direction because, I mean, I think Jesus uh, is, is reported in the Gospels on a number of occasions very clearly as identifying the top priorities for those who would be in right relationship with God, loving God with all that you are, loving your neighbor as yourself. And I think if we're trying to inspire other people or convince other people or invite other people to be Christians, we're doing it on the basis what of what we understand about God and what we experienced of God. And if our number one priority is being in right relationship with God, that's the reason to be a Christian. Versus the fear of hell. Versus the fear of hell or the reward of heaven. You know, what does the reward of heaven mean? You're just not going to die? Like, come on. Do you want to go to some place? Like, why don't you want to go to, uh, well, we won't talk about, I mean, I have an annihilationist view of hell anyways. I don't believe hell is some sort of eternal destination. And I think that that's a misunderstanding. But um, well, why do you want to go and, why do you want to continue to live forever? A lot of us have moments of life where... <laughs> They're not too good. And, you know, when you when you talk to older people, I mean, you do see – I mean, that they is, don't have to be in, in, a, in, in bad shape or grumpy people, but, you know, they're tired. Right. So they, there really is a fatigue that comes with that. And so what, what's the motivation to live forever? I think the motivation is that you're, you want to be in the presence it's, – it's, it's, you know, what is eternity? Do we experience moments of eternity here and now? I think we do. We experience moments when time, when we lose the sense of chronological time and we gain the sense of what I would call chirological time. So the Greeks talked about time in two ways, as chronos, which is time as sequence, and kairos, which is time as 
season. But within this notion of season, there's this notion of the right moment, the propitious moment, the, the, the timing. Timing is kairos, whereas time itself is chronos. And within timing, there's that idea that, you know, sometimes we get together. You know, and I've had this sometimes with you. I can remember times when, when time flew. You know, we're together. We're, we're hanging out. We're having a great time. And time, where did the time go? Where did right. the chronos go? Mm-hmm. It was totally absorbed in this kairos, right? In this kind of space, this, this season, this right moment together. And we have that with our families, with our friends, with our kids, etc. And I think that's part of, that's the best way I can conceptualize eternity. But it's always in this context of doing something wonderful, of being with somebody that I love and care for. Um, you know, something quite exceptional. And I can't understand why he keeps coming back to getting to heaven and avoiding hell if there's not some really good reason to be in heaven. And the really good reason to be in heaven, in my books, comes back to exactly what Jesus is putting as the number one priority for Christians, which is loving God and being loved of God. There's a love relationship there. It's very clear. And that relationship is worth everything. It's a transformative, inclusive relationship that opens us to possibilities, new possibilities for ourselves, with our fellows, with the world, etc. So is it this notion that like the best love the best love relationship that you could think of and it just never ends? Yeah, I think so. That huh. sounds great. And of course, you know, this also puts us in a tough position. Part of what I would like to know, if I could sit down and have an honest conversation with the author, is you know, I'd like to know what his experiences of love is, have been. Because I don't think we can relate to Jesus uh, that this command, this notion that somehow God's commanding love, which is, uh, you know, kind of uh, tricky. <laughs> well, straight up, I think it's just wrong. I mean, no one's, you can't command a gift. It ceases to be a gift when you command it. Even a, you know, the most vile person has the, the ability to, to, to give or not give a gift. You can't extort it. Extorting love makes it no longer love. It's this sort of servile. It's this kind of crazy stuff. And I guess, you know, what I see in this book is it feels like whatever kind of... There's so much effort involved. There's so much cross-carrying, suffering, sacrifice, blah, blah, blah. And I hear nothing about love. And it's all about love. You know, it's all, it's all about love. I mean, we talked about, we talked about Paul on the Damascus Road last time didn't we yeah we did and you know he's it's it's amazing i mean the 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 gift he's been given the the degree of forgiveness he has received these things create within paul would create within anyone the most this tremendous sense of being loved far beyond your worth far in excess in, in in stark blatant glaring contradiction to the enormous and lengthy list of wrongs that you've committed against this 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 entity this being who then forgives you of all those things confers on you a gift of enormous worth and is essentially through that 
communicating the most profound love you could possibly imagine. I just don't understand. I think I think what he's done then is he's got this heaven and hell focus when he should have being in love with God focus, being beloved and in love with God. And I think that um, as a result of this focus, that you see a lot of, um, you've commented on this a lot, his use of certain verses is, is really questionable. And then he's he's often talking about, you know, the whole Bible's talking about suffering and we're completely leaving out things like, uh, you know, all you who are um, heavy laden, you know, come to me, my, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And he, he, Kyle just kind of sidesteps all of the contradictory verses and references to the points he's trying to raise. And I think he's trying, he does that because he does not, he, he, he's trying to confirm a position that really doesn't stand up. It really doesn't hold water. It's really not the way to be going. And in, in order to confirm it, he's got to close his eyes to things that contradict it. And I think the test of his position is that if he could bring together all of these scriptures and passages and he could say, you know, here's how these things all work together, I would be a lot more receptive to what he has to say. Yeah, I, I don't think we've seen I don't think we've seen any integration. They're always Yeah. I mean I was skipping ahead to chapter eleven just a tiny bit. Like, mm-hmm. like they usually just get kind of dropped in. Yeah. So uh, on one sixty, he's talking about um, about being him about how Jesus was humiliated and mm-hmm. um, how Jesus was crucified naked on naked on a cross, and then just out of the blue, he's like, "Yeah, the Bible says in Philippians two that followers are to have the same attitude as Jesus, who made himself nothing." And then he just drives on. It's like, it's like, um, <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> you know, that's an interesting point, though, about Philippians. I looked that one up, and I think again, he's he's off the mark. You know, Philippians two. Well, Philippians talk- is Paul, right, talking to the yeah. Philippians, and so, uh, so, so yeah. To me, that is an absolute classic proof text, right there. It's like, mm-hmm. well, let me reference, let me add a footnote to this idea that I have, and you know, if it remotely looks like it could come from that part of the Bible, I'll just cite it. That's probably being really harsh, but that's how it feels to me. And and for me, and where I'm currently at, this just lacks intellectual integrity. This is just, you know, trying to put as many layers of plaster over the wall as you can so it looks like it's strong. Yeah, and well. I I just see right through it. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I think this is a great. I think the book gives a a very honest and deep insight into Kyle Edelman, but I think it gives us a very poor insight into what it is to be a Christian follower of Jesus. And uh, I mean, even his part about Philippians two, and I'm, you're reading through it, and and uh, this whole introduction through Philippians, um, live your life in a worthy manner of the gospel, in a, in a manner worthy of the gospel. This is. Philippians one twenty seven, and then we get into 2, and, it, you know, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, this is 2 verse 1, any compassion and sympathy, make your joy, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves, each of you look not to your own interest, but the interest of others. 
Now, and again, and die on a cross naked. Isn't that in there too? <laughs> yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but that's again, a, that's profound. As you're reading that, I'm thinking, what was the first part about the gospel? Because my question is, okay, well, what's the gospel? What's the gospel yeah. that Paul's talking about? Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But 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 you know, even the part where where, where people cause classically look to Philippians as saying, you know, Christ, well, I think what, yeah, it's, it's, pardon me, it's a little shocking that he's got, the Bible says in Philippians 2, well, where, why don't you just tell me if you've got the verses? He's looking at verses 6 to 11, but they're talking about obedience, out of obedience. Obedience is the what Jesus gave. Jesus, what did Jesus do? Jesus was obedient. So we should be There's, obedient too. No, we should ask the first question. <laughs> Obedience. No, is that's the how. I, that's my teaching. Jesus, yeah, it, we're supposed to be just like Jesus. If Jesus did it, we should too. It's that simple. Yeah. Well, maybe, <laughs> but but we've got half of a picture there, and we're kind of acting on it. We're, we're this is this this, this knee jerk shotgun reaction. The what is not the first question. Something happened. What happened? Well, before the what, there was a why. Why? Why did Jesus do this? Why was Jesus obedient? Jesus was obedient because Jesus loved. It was an act of obedience out of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And Jesus, likewise, as God, loving us. Right? Jesus was not, I mean, I'm not suggesting that, that this was a, an easy, light path. No, no, no. But this puts it in such a different light. We're never asking that why question. You know, and we do the same thing. This comes back, you go way, way, way back in, in some of the, the early theology. And even when we think about, if we go way, way back, for example, in the biblical canon, I mean, the first book of the Bible is Genesis. What happened in Genesis? Notice the question. What happened in Genesis? So if you go to Augustine, I'm looking at his books on myself here. What happened? God created ex nihilo. God created how? Ex nihilo, out of nothing. What happened? God created it of nothing. Great. Why? Why is the original question? Why did it even happen in the first place? Why did God create? Why did God act? Creation is itself an act of love. It is an act of bringing others into being, to, of, of, of creating relationship. You know, and then and then the relationship gets broken, it gets shattered, and that's what that's what Genesis one is all about. That that God created, God created, why? Because of love, from love, for the purpose. Why? What purpose? For what purpose? For relationship. And then we we if you're working with that orientation, God loves. So God is love. God not only loves but is love, and God seeks relationship with us and all that God has created and seeks that in a right way. And God insists on that. God insists God's not going to kind of say, oh, yeah, you know, whatever you like, however you want to do it. But, of course, God is not this kind of tyrant that we have to respond to God like Kyle responds out of this huge emphasis on slavery and self-sacrifice and dying and all these other things because God is already seeking us. God is already seeking the worst of us. God is already embracing us. You know, it's this the same story about the prodigal son. And the most important part of that, as Brendan Manning would say, Luke 15 is verse 20. 
So he, the son, set off to his father and went to his father. While the son was still far off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And, and I, one of the translations... And I'd have to check and just tense, check the verb tense on this one. One of the translations is, and he could not stop kissing him. In other words, this, not just an action that's completed, but this ongoing action, this action that is, that is continuing. He could not, which is best phrased as, he could not stop kissing him. I'm not sure about that translation. I'd have to check. But that's, that's the orientation. And so if you come at it that way, if you start asking questions, why, why, as opposed to what, you see, we get a what, and we want to imitate, we, we say, you know, we should, we should imitate that, but I don't know, like, I think that's slavery in the wrong sense. That's, that's being beholden to an idea. I think Kyle, in this book, is dedicated to an idea, and this idea, you know, and, and maybe this is the hardest shot I've taken against him so far, I think that idea is somewhat idolatrous. He's putting out an idea of what it is to be a Christian. That is, that is not what it is to be a Christian. Because he's saying, this is what God wants from us. This is not what God wants from us. And he's dodging. He's, he's weaving around, ignoring certain parts of the Bible that he's got to know. And I have no idea why he's not bringing them up. Mm. You know, even, even to say, here are all these things that contradict me, and here's why they're wrong. I mean, come on, just... <laughs> It's the whole thing is is inspired, as far as I think he would say. So I'm not sure why he's not taking the time to respect the whole of the text, even if he's respecting it only insofar as he's denouncing parts of it that he doesn't like. At least he can admit they're there. You know, otherwise I kind of have to say the same thing as you do. I don't feel too much respect for him. <laughs> I have thought and I lost it. Well, I don't know. What do you what do you think about that idea of like you said? Well, oh, I think oh, this is what it was. No, mm. the whole notion of of the what I I would put that So, so I would say in the last 2 or 3 years as I've become more uh critical as I've read and looked at verses that are quoted uh I've probably listened to hundreds of episodes of my favorite, one of my favorite podcasts called The God Journey. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's it's this theme in Christianity where the Bible is used as a book of principles. Mm. And, y you know, it's the operating, and I've heard this said, you know, the, the Bible is the are the operating instructions that God has given us for our lives. And so it's kind of like, you know, when you're working on a car, the owner's, it, yeah, the, I think I've heard this analogy too, you know, it's like the owner's manual for your car, you know, uh, you need service checkups at certain intervals, you know, the Bible tells us to do certain things and, you know, and, and to do them consistently. And, um, and, you know, the, and, and also the other thing about the Bible is this, this magic book that speaks to all areas of life. Like all, you, you have a question, God has an answer. It's in the Bible. And... <laughs> And and so this is so ingrained in me. I think I'm still – it's not totally out of my system. I think i got a long ways to go, which is why mm – -hmm. I'm kind of getting off track a little bit here. But which is why this book is so hard for me, and the, 
the not a fan book is so hard for me in a lot of ways is I've heard so many of these things my entire life they haven't worked in other words I don't feel like I have the relationship with God that I'm looking for or the one that you described that you have with God and so it's it's hard to kind of separate myself because I, I read this and it's like oh yeah it, it is supposed to be this hard oh yeah you are supposed to sacrifice mm-hmm. and give up and and then I have these moments of like oh well that's maybe that's why it hasn't happened I just haven't given up enough but for some reason there's just something deeply rooted in me that's just not willing to try like to do it and I don't know if that's stubbornness or someone say that's sin or what but um, now I'm way off track but where I, I guess where I wanted to get back to was yes the the this notion though that that the Bible is this book of principles, and if we follow the principles, mm-hmm. uh, life turns out better than if we don't. And it's God's communication with us, and it's our owner's manual. So, so just follow it. It's that. It's like it's which is complete. When you, as I'm talking, it's completely ridiculous. When <laughs> when someone writes an owner's manual for a car, they're looking at a particular model year of the car. That's Maybe it's a car, you know, it's it's a four-wheel drive. Okay, it was meant to go off-road, and so that would need different maintenance and different care and different kinds of tires than a minivan. Mm-hmm. But that owner's manual is written specifically so that that car can run in its best condition and last as long as it can. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people would say, yeah, and that's exactly what the Bible's for, too. Well, in talking to you in my own reading and evolution, it's like, no, <laughs> Paul was writing to the Philippians, about mm-hmm. whatever was going on with the Philippians, whatever was going on with Paul in the way that he wanted to encourage them or clarify some things. But for so long it was, and I, this is why I can't handle church anymore. Cause now I really feel like it's somewhat intellectually dishonest. We would <laughs> open to Philippians two and say, look, it's in the Bible. And because it's in the Bible, it's inspired by God. And because it's inspired by God, God said it. And because the Bible is the operating manual for our lives, we need to do these things. And then everything will be okay. Well, I don't know that it'll be okay, but then we won't be sinning. And then -hmm. you kind of slip right back into this whole fear, um, sacrifice, doing enough, following the rules. And you're right back to following the principles. But following Mm -hmm. principles is... Not anything like being in love. <laughs> no, exactly. That's a great point. That just kind of popped into my head as I was talking. Yeah, it's just a principle. I think a principles is very dead. Uh, it's like the league, you know, the penal code. The, this is, you know, this is section whatever, and this is the rule, and this is what it's supposed to be. But there's mm-hmm. no life or love or relationship there. It's just those are the rules, and if you break them, there are certain consequences. But I feel like that's what. Christianity has been turned into and particularly the Bible has been turned into is this penal code. Yeah. Yeah. And you see, I think what we've, what we've failed to do is this for me is the big distinction between love and truth. If you want to say it that way, you know, are there, are there true principles or true ways of being or, or truth that affects and can better my situation in my life, I would say yes, but the biblical texts, as far as they act for us, I think the very first question they're doing in relation to, to that first question, that why question, is they are 
meant to elicit and invite relationship. They are meant to create a bond. They are meant to uh, encourage us to seek out God, to respond to what we may think of as, as God in our lives, to weigh up the things that we see around us. So you're probably, yeah, principles, I mean, this is this kind of idea of scientific knowledge. It's this kind of, you know, God is like this, God is like that, God is like that, God is like that. You should be this, you should be that, blah, 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 do this, do that. But the whole relational piece, this is this is what I would say, you know, so the, on the first hand, we, we can talk about scientific knowledge. On the other hand, we can talk about relational knowledge, if you like. I mean, I... In my some of my grad work, this was really big, and it's this distinction. Um, I used French verbs because in English, really, it's a distinction between knowledge and acquaintance. And acquaintance in English is kind of watery, a little bit maybe pamby, wishy-washy. It's not too strong. Knowledge is strong. Acquaintance is, well, whatever. You know, you're kind of acquainted. But it's this knowledge in, in and through relationship and this, knowledge, this factual knowledge, this scientific knowledge, if you like. I mean, both. I mean, I mean, I know things about you personally, right? Uh, but I know you through being with you, through spending time with you, through you know various kind of um, things we've done, activities we've shared, um, places where we've lived in the same area, and um, that it's those two things together. You know, you can't love somebody you don't know anything about. <laughs> It's just that doesn't make any sense. Like I could be getting cards. Oh, these cards are lovely. Well, that person could be a stalker, <laughs> right? Seriously, like I don't know. How would I know until I know something about them? But on the other hand, um, loving somebody uh, or or no- knowing something about somebody is not the same as loving them, right? I can know something that somebody is a good person. That somebody's this. In other words, all of these things I could be told about. Uh, I'm. Um, I've been adopted. I don't know my real mother. And then I start hearing these things, these, this factual information about her. She's, she says these, these things and those things and da 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 And I think to myself, wow, this sounds like a really great person. I'm not sure why she gave me up. Um, it sounds like she's a, I'm hearing she's a really great person. I'm not going to know that. I'm not going to be able to kind of attach myself to that. And, and that's not going to have its real validity until I see that through relating with that person, through getting to know that person and seeing what comes of the possible relationship that we could have. Yeah. And I think I would, yeah, I would think of that as like the difference between heart and head. Sure. Yeah. And I don't think there's much heart, which is why for me, again, a lot of times it seems like it's truth over love in the evangelical church. I think you're right. This book of principles or operating instructions idea is, it's pretty dead. I guess I want to nuance it a little bit by saying I think there are definitely sections of it that are principles. I mean, the book of Proverbs. I mean, mm-hmm. I think there are good principles and there are good operating instructions sprinkled throughout or that can be derived. But to simply treat it as this book of principles and legal guide, which is I feel like how – I mean, this book not a fan book to me is the classic way that the Bible is misused mm-hmm. where, you know, you make a point and then you have to cite a scripture <laughs> verse and, and citing the scripture verse makes it legit and right. gives it support. And 
I just disagree with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that you can't, that, as you, you know, part of this idea of, uh, as you read on the top of page 155 at the end of chapter 10, the story of the rich young ruler is really, um, it's not just about giving up money and the things money can buy, it's about giving up, period. That you can't give up, like, I guess my deeper question about this is, what do you do in the face of bad religion? What do you do in the face of really bad, warped Christianity? Wow, that's a great question. Yeah, and that's a question, that's a great question, because I, what, what are your, do you have thoughts on that, or is that more of a... Yeah, I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> talk to me. Cause, talk to me, because, I mean, I, I keep trying to bring us back to this place where... Yeah, we've been pretty tough on Kyle. I, you know what? I, I wouldn't. I would love to meet him someday. The three of us sit down and talk, and you know, maybe we get to a better place. So I don't. Yeah. I, I have. I never wanted our conversations to be a personal attack, or you know, no. Let's sit down every week and see how badly we can trash him. It. It really is. Uh, this is symptomatic. This. This. What's reflected here is not just like he created this from scratch. This is. This is universal, not uh, universal. It this is a widespread problem. So yes, back mm-hmm. to your question, what do we do? Well, I think, uh, I mean, all the, if you look at the example and the examples, there are many in the Old Testament. This is exactly what the prophets were doing. They were they were denouncing the Israel that called itself Israel that was not Israel and wouldn't admit it. They, you know, you have all these situations where prophets would go to the kings, would go to religious leaders, and uh, they would be, you know, they're not heard, they're not valued, and uh, they're persecuted, and they're killed, and they're, uh, they have a a pretty rough go of it. Um, My issue about, my issue is this, that that, um, oftentimes I've heard it presented that maybe we have uh, four uh, uh, kind of resources that we use or look to in understanding Christian faith. We have our reason. <clears throat> we have experience. We have the tradition of how the Bible has been read, and we've got the text itself. And um, I remember this being raised in one of my graduate classes, and a student saying to the professor, "So, what do we do?" When we have a problem, when, when something's not working out, when uh, the way we're, when, there's, when we have an issue with our belief. And the, the prof said, hold on to scripture. Hold on to scripture. And honestly, my response to that is, at certain points, I think that's a, a valid way of responding. However, Part of the problem we have is that some people do not have a sufficient experience of who God is, such that when they have major experiences, let's say particularly of evil and pain in their lives, then evil and pain looks a whole lot more real, a whole lot bigger, stronger, and more valid, even in a negative sense, and valid, than God does. And when in those cases, when we just hold on to Scripture, we say, you know, I know God is good, but I don't see any stinking evidence of it. I, but I still know God is good. That is the height of dishonesty. 
Well, and you're trying to will yourself into to making yeah. it true or real. Yeah, which... you're betraying yourself. You're you're denying the validity of the created environment around you from a Christian perspective. Even that's a wrong thing to do. You know, either there's a problem with your eyes, you're not seeing it. It's there, but you're not seeing it. Or there's a problem with your ability to interpret. You're seeing it, and you're seeing it the wrong way. Or it's not there. You know, and legitimately, sometimes it's not there. Legitimately, in terms of the original question of bad religion, legitimately, there are some churches that I think just should be shut right down. Shut them down. Get the people out of there. If somebody said, hey, I, you know, I'm having a hard time going to this church. What do you think I should do? My honest recommendation would be don't go to that church and don't go to any church for right now. If you don't think you can do that, if you think that's a destructive thing for you, don't do it. Can you read your Bible? No. Don't do it. Sit down and figure out. Spend a little time with yourself. So what was going on for you there? What was going wrong? What would it look like if things were going right? What would have had to happen in that situation for you to feel like it was redeemable? How did you contribute to that situation? When did you figure out it was a problem? And why did you stay so long? What do you think there is about you that might be contributing to you being in situations like that longer than you should? Wow, those are great questions. Oh, good. Those are great questions. Well, no, and and what's so funny is my knee-jerk response to the, well, maybe you shouldn't go to church and, you know, maybe you should look in the Bible yourself was like, oh, well, there's that one verse in Hebrews about not forsaking the gathering with other believers. Be sin. Be sin not to go. Yeah, but this is where the Bible gets in the way. It's getting in the way. It's, it's, It's using, it's the text being used as a way of destroying the very thing it's meant to build up. Because the Bible here, factual information is substituting for relational information. And if we had the right relationship with God, we would know that God is not going to somehow think anything less of us. I mean, look at what God did for Paul. Paul didn't just forsake the gathering. Like, Paul was destroying. Paul, you know, <laughs> he, he, he goes, he, he's at pains to, to say how how much of a Pharisee he was, you know, even, even there in, uh, isn't that, isn't that in Philippians when he's talking about that? But this is exactly the point. If we had the right relationship to begin with, and if we understood what that relationship was really about, we wouldn't in any sense say to ourselves, Oh, you know, I, I'm trapped here. God is not looking to trap us. God is looking to free us. God is not looking to constrain us. God is looking to embrace us in a way that opens us up and gives us back to ourselves, to others, to the world, and to God. And once we have that type of orientation, then we can we can weather, we can understand these things. And, and of course, the problem too is that you can't have that orientation until you've got it on the one hand, but there's no one out there showing people that this is the right way to be, as opposed to, you know, and I, yeah, we're not trying to slide Kyle, but, but what Kyle is saying is not going to encourage anyone in your position. It's only going to make you feel like you're doing the wrong thing. You screwed up yet again, and maybe you should go go to Kyle's church instead. I feel, yeah, I think, it, yeah, for me, it's just a continuing sense of alienation and that I really do need to try harder and sacrifice more, which, given my previous experiences, just pushes buttons and just makes me cross my arms tighter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it, it's, it's, and I guess there's this, this notion too. I mean, I guess the result of what you're saying to me is within Christianity, people are not really taught to value their own perspectives. 
they're not taught to learn how to judge things rightly and trust themselves. No, we can't trust them. We can't trust them because we can't trust our emotions because our emotions are all over the place and we're also fallen and sinful. So that's why we need God. We have to trust God for the right. And I'm being facetious. I'm being very sarcastic because I believe that for so long and then, yeah, kind of like we were saying a few minutes ago, trying to will myself into feeling and believing certain things. And then I got to the point where it's just like, okay, I don't have an, um, I, I'm an amazing IQ score, but I'm also not the dumbest person on the earth. So <laughs> what? <laughs> I got to kind of go with, you know, really yeah. how I'm feeling about this. And yeah. now, granted, if I felt like I should kill someone, there's a problem there, but we're not talking about like things that extreme. I know. Yeah, exactly. We're not talking about anything goes, but that's, that's part of the issue too for me is that we're, we're very Christians tend to be evangelical Christians tend to be very critical of anything not Christian, but very uncritical of things Christian. Well, that whole idea of being sinful and, and, and doing and screwing things up and doing things wrong applies every bit as much to our religion and our religiosity and our Christianity. We would not have like it's not just the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah. I mean, it's the whole section. There's a section of the prophets. There are numerous prophets. And they're, they're all through the Old Testament. The issue of false religion is huge. The issue of sin in respect of the very thing that identifies us. In other words, for the Israelites, as, as Israelites, for Christians, as the church, in the church, is huge. Why don't we see it? It should be right there in front of us, and it's not. And to that I would say, I've, I've always kind of sensed an unwritten rule that you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't criticize our own. I mean, that's like friendly fire, you know. And and I've been I've thought several times, um, it, you know, if if this is out there in the world and people are listening to this, I mean, we part of my worry and reluctance sometimes in publishing them is that mm-hmm. we will be accused of shooting our own. Yeah, and again, that that for me comes right back to this whole thing with love and truth. Because I am, I am, I can, I am, I am staunchly, staunchly with some of my atheistic friends when they say to me that Christian, you know, Christianity sucks, and I say to them, "What Christianity are you talking about?" Well, it looks like this, and they do this, and they do that, and I said, "Absolutely, you know what? That sucks. I don't believe in that God. That's not a real God. I am an atheist with respect to certain ways of framing and living out the Christian life. I am an atheist." I'm an opposite. I'm an enemy of that faith. I'm a staunch enemy. And that's why I guess who, you know, we've got to go back to Jesus in the text. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers and sisters? Those who do the, who hear the will of God, the word of God and do it. But not everyone who's hearing it is doing it. You know, and for me then it's, you know, what is it about? Well, it's about love and it's about truth. Now I find those things, they reach their fulfillment they have their origin, and they reach their fulfillment in God. They begin and end in God. That is my view as a Christian. That is what I have come to experience. But it's not something that's just head knowledge. It's not something that's just, this is what I read in the Bible. No, this is what I've experienced in my life, being in relationship with God. And this is the most honest take I can have on the matter. I'm not trying to muster this up. This is what I think. This is what I feel. 
And so those who seek truth, regardless of what they call themselves and where they are, they're kin to me. Now, I, I'm a lot closer to my Christian, to Christian truth seekers who are hearing the word of God and doing it than I am to atheist truth seekers. But we still have a lot to talk about, even if they're atheists. We can still relate in many ways. And when they hear me say things like, you know, no, I would, I would, it's, it's really regrettable that, that that type of Christianity exists. I think that's a completely false way of living. And, and I, would, uh, I would denounce that. Then, 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 you know, we've got some common ground there. The same thing with love. I mean, if, if, if love is not uh, a chief orientation, a chief goal, then, you know, I don't have much in common. Even if they call themselves Christians, if there's no love there, you know, why do you bother doing this? And this is part of my really deep regret with this book we're taking on, with uh, Not a Fan, is that I really can't relate to this guy very well. I really wish I could, but you know what? I just can't. And I can't, I couldn't recommend this book or this way of thinking to anyone I know or care for. Because the emphasis on love and on God as love and of encountering God in a way where God's love is transformative of me and for me is, is nowhere to be found in that book. That's not my experience. That's not what the text tells me, what the biblical text tells me, and it's also not my experience. I can't, you know, I, I can't go along with that and I can't advocate that for others. You've been listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on iTunes or over at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 24. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available at the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made available by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Thanks to Kevin for his generosity. Support him at his website by going to incompetech.com. Tune in next week for a new episode.